As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. We're with astrophysicist Adam Frank. His book is called The Little Book of Aliens. We'll tell you in a moment where you can get it. It is marvelous. Adam, what do you think of the witnesses who testified several months ago before Congress? They seem very credible. They were pilots. And uh, what do you think? Well, you know, um, I've had really great conversations with Ryan Graves, one of the pilots. Yes. What I really like about uh, Ryan is that, you know, he's very agnostic about what it is. Like, I like his attitude where he's like, this is what I saw. You know, I'm telling you, it, it didn't look like anything I've ever flown around with before. But I need you to figure it out, right? Somebody go figure it out. He's not, he's not going to a conclusion. He's just reporting what he saw. And... You know, I, I think uh, it's great that the pilots are able to talk about this without, you know, there any kind of um, uh, uh, stigma. So that's really good. But again, there's nothing, you know, that links. There's there's no hard data that links what they saw because you know, personal testimony. There's only science can't really work with personal testimony. Um, so there's still nothing that links to the uh, to the idea that they're, you know, they're non-human. And you know, again, that's why it's, uh, I support the NASA panel and doing that study. Uh, I do think, you know, there's a real possibility for me. It's probably, I'm, I'm more inclined to believe that this is going to be about, um, uh, about national defense. And I, you know, I, mm-hmm. in this book, I talk about the modern history of UAPs and, you know, where that's led so that people can understand sort of, yeah, where science, how science would look at this. Now, when it comes to the idea of the, of the alien craft in the garages, I got to say, as a scientist, you know, show me the spaceship. Until somebody shows me the spaceship and, you know, we can go bang around on it, they're, they're stories. And, you know, in the book I talk about in the 1950s, one of the first government reports ever done, Project Sign, um, there was uh, the, the head of it, Captain uh, Edward Rupert, wrote a, a book after he retired in the 50s where he said, oh, there was this report called The Estimate of the Situation 
that claimed there was evidence that UFOs were interplanetary, right? Because they didn't really think interstellar then. But of course, that report was never found. People have dug around looking for that report. It was never found. So the idea that there, you know, the military has spaceships has been around forever. We've never really gotten anything from it. So, uh, you know, and for every military guy who says we have spaceships, there's another military guy who says there doesn't. And the problem is it's the government, right? And the government is a giant bureaucracy that good luck getting anything from them. So I think it's far more likely that we are going to have evidence of life, some kind of life, whether it's dumb life, meaning, you know, microbes or forests on alien planets via uh, what I call biosignatures or what are called biosignatures, or uh, smart life, technosignatures, on alien worlds before we find we really get anything from, you know, from finding anything about UAPs. Uh, hopefully, eventually, we'll figure out what UAPs are, but we're so close to getting real data about alien life on alien planets. Adam, you're a scientist, so you don't guess, you don't speculate, but I'm going to ask you... <laughs> the pilots are seeing something that is something they never have seen before. They've told you that. What does your gut tell you that might be going on? Well, my gut tells me, because especially as I went back, uh, you know, I did this, uh, I did a, an op-ed for the New York Times when in the 2001 uh, about this. Uh, and I went back and I was doing lots of reading. And one of the things I stumbled on was the uh, Int community, like the community of people from the signals intelligence and electronic intelligence community. And what was interesting, they had lively discussions about all of this, but none of it was about extraterrestrials. It was all, and this is where I learned the term, peer state adversaries. Uh, you know, um, other governments using drones, using, it doesn't have to really be advanced technology. You can actually use simple technologies to spoof something looking like it's moving very fast. Uh, and you know the United States did this itself in the 19, late 1950s. Russia had built this giant radar. We wanted to know what that radar was capable of, of, so we spoofed a signal into it to get the Russians to crank, you know, the the power up on it. And that's how we detected. That's how we understood what they were capable of. So if I had to take a guess, and again, like you said, I'm just speculating until we actually do the science. You know, uh, we what we don't know. Uh, but that's my speculation. But here's an interesting point, George. Imagine that we did do the science. Mm -hmm. And imagine that we found that these things were behaving in a way that no human craft could do. Like it was making a right-hand turn at, you know, at Mach 500. Uh, in the book, I discuss, well, what would be the next step, right? You would still have to do more science. Because if they don't land and announce themselves, now we found, wow, here's something that is moving in ways that we don't understand but how, you know, that's, what do you do next? So you just have to do the next bit of science. So the interesting thing is having a, an agnostic approach to this means you're just following where the data leads, and every good question that's answered will lead to the next good question. Years ago, uh, I was at a conference. I go to a lot of them, Adam, and uh, there was an individual there who's since passed on, but he would be, attend every event. And he would bring with him night vision goggles. His name was Ed Grimsley. Mm -hmm. And he'd always sit next to me or producer Tom with a little paper bag in his lap. And I'm going, man, this doesn't feel right. This is just weird. <laughs> you know, I've seen this guy five times at five different events. He sits close to us. He's got a bag on his lap. This just doesn't seem right, Tom. we got to figure out something here. 
Finally, he came up to us and reaches into the back. And I, you know, I'm ready to jump the guy. And he, he pulls out night vision goggles and says, George, hi, Ed Grimsley. Would you come on the roof with me? And I went, no. <laughs> and he said, well, no, let me explain. I've got a group of people up there, and we're looking at UFOs with these night vision goggles. Would you come up there? And I said, how many people are up there? He said, about half a dozen. I said, okay, let's go. So we go up on the roof, and he gives me these night vision goggles at him. And I swear to God, I'm looking at objects in the sky that are not insects. They're not satellites. They're doing 90-degree angle turns, as you just mentioned, stopping and starting and they're way, way up there. Grimsley estimated 100, 200 miles up, perhaps. And there were little, tiny, little shiny dots just going zoop, stop, zoop, right-hand turn. I don't know what I saw, but something was up there. It was weird. Yeah, well, so this is the interesting thing about this, right? So, you know, I, could, I would never say to somebody, you didn't see what you saw, right? I wasn't there. I wasn't watching it. So I don't know, right? I, I can't answer that. But if we want, what we want with science from science is public knowledge, right? Something that we can all, the data is available, we can all agree on it. And so how would you get that kind of data about UAPs? And that's, well, you know, one of the things I cover in the book, like what would a scientific search look like? And it turns out it looks a lot like the search that we're doing for alien planets. When we're looking for biosignatures and technosignatures, the same kind of standards of evidence that we have, the same kind of demand for knowing everything about your instrument uh, is going to be required for looking at UAPs, just like when we use the James Webb Space Telescope. So, for example, when my colleagues and I, if we were to ever report that we found, say, evidence for uh, city lights on a, on a world that was 40 light years away, people are going to come after us, right? Other scientists, I mean, you know, because we're People have to understand how mean scientists are to each other for good reason. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, that we're we're going to have to know everything about how the space telescope works. You know, we have to know how it receives light when it's 40 degrees, how it receives light when it's 80 degrees. And that's the only way that we're going to be able to answer that question. Same thing with UAPs. We're going to have to build instruments that we know everything about those instruments and we know everything about how we did the search so that way we can all, you know, that data is there and everybody can look at it and come to the same conclusion. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. 
Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. In your book, The Little Book of Aliens, you cite the Roswell crash of 1947 as a moment in history where the public became a little too obsessed with UFOs. Tell me about that. Well, I think the problem with, especially for you look at the effect on the, uh, the site, like SETI, as we talked about before, was that with something like uh, Roswell, you know, all the competing stories and the way it's just built on, on itself, and particularly, you know, the hoax uh, surrounding, the, you know, those, uh, the alien autopsy, because of what happened with the, the an as, aspects of the you know people who are of UFO culture is that the uh, the scientific search for um, extraterrestrials or, or you know, astrobiology got what we call the giggle factor that anybody who you know any scientist who wanted to study life in the universe you know other colleagues would raise their eyes and kind of giggle and this really affected um, the funding for SETI SETI uh, their funding was cut off like basically there there has been almost no SETI searching at all people need to understand that um, there because there was no funding in the 1980s and the 1990s when NASA tried to fund SETI Congress people stood up and said we're not going to use taxpayer dollars to look for little green men and UFOs so that what happened from Roswell uh, really and, and things like that really colored the ability of scientists to, to investigate uh, the possibilities of life in the universe using telescopes and using uh, you know, probes. But what's remarkable now is that that has really gone away. We've made so many amazing discoveries about exoplanets, about planets orbiting other stars, that NASA's now all in. And the next big telescope, people don't understand this, the next big telescope that NASA's going to build, you know, billion-dollar telescope, is called the Habitable World Observatory. So it's tuned to finding life on distant worlds. That's a huge milestone. And you know, one of the things I want people to understand from the book is how close we are and how we're going to do it. This idea of finding city lights or finding evidence of uh, biospheres because oxygen in an atmosphere. We can literally look into alien atmospheres and sniff out their chemical composition and use that to detect life. Are you amazed at the progress we're making right now, trying to inch for, towards getting the answers to these questions? George, I am, I am uh, more than amazed. I'm stunned. Because, you know, I, when I was coming up as a graduate student in the late 80s, 
We didn't even know whether there were any planets out there other than our own. True. It was entirely possible that we were there, the, the eight planets in our solar system, and don't start with me about Pluto, <laughs> were the only ones. Huh. And now we know every star in the sky has planets. When I was 15, though, I told my science teacher in school that there were planets teeming throughout the universe. And he kept saying, how do you know this, George? And I said, because the model of what happened in our solar system is the same throughout the universe. Now, I was a kid without any data, without any scientific fact, but I just, my gut told me they're everywhere, and I'm right. Right. Yeah, you were. You were right. And, and the thing is, in 1988, or say 1985, when I started graduate school, we didn't know whether there were any other planets, and now we know that there are, you know, billions upon billions upon billions of planets. And even more exciting, we know how to look at those planets, how to look into their atmospheres to find evidence of life. You know what's an interesting thing that we've learned, though, also? I talk about all the different kinds of planets that we found. The most common kind of planet in the universe is one that's not in our solar system, right? Our solar system is not average. It's that's right. kind of weird. If, if you were an alien on another planet in a different solar system, looking at planet Earth with the technology you might possess... What would you conclude? Yeah, this is an interesting idea that the, uh, the Earth has shown biosignatures. The Earth has had these signatures of a biosphere, you know, either microbial or about a half a billion years ago. That's when uh, uh, multicellular creatures started to evolve on Earth. The Earth has been showing biosignatures for about three billion years. Now, our technosignatures are new. It's only been probably in the last, hundred years that we are showing uh, technosignatures. So you'd have to be within a hundred light years of us to be able to detect our radio signatures or the atmospheric pollution that we put in. But, you know, certainly Earth has been, been visible as an inhabited world by just, you know, uh, 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 non-intelligent life for at least three billion years. Tell us about NASA's technosignatures research program you're part of. Yeah, so this is a wonderful story. So as I said, you know, NASA had really gotten out of the life business, or at least the intelligent life business, for quite a long time. And in 19, or sorry, in, in 2018, there were in Congress, someone in Congress put in a bill that said NASA should fund the search for techno signatures, right? And so NASA was like, uh, okay. So they convened a meeting that brought us, you know, the people who were interested in it together. And we had this amazing three-day meeting, and NASA was like, look, if we get this money, what should we do with it? And it was the most amazing three days of just, you know, exploring all kinds of ideas, trying to figure out which ideas were the best, which were the most likely to produce uh, some kind of return. So we talked about things like city lights. Would you be able to see artificial illumination on the you know, dark side of a planet from 40 light years away? Would you be able to see atmospheric chemicals, you know, industrial mm-hmm. chemicals from 40 light years away? And from that meeting, a group of uh, collaborators and I put in a grant to study atmospheric technosignatures. It was the first ever grant like that, and we got it. And now since 2019, we have been writing papers and studying the possibilities for how we might find uh, alien civilizations on alien planets. Oh, that's great. Can you conclude that there's water on these planets? 
Not yet, but that's coming very, very, very soon. There was recently, uh, just about a month ago, the James Webb Space Telescope looked at, and this is really exciting, George, an entirely new class of habitable worlds, what they call a Hycean world, hydrogen ocean world. And this is a world that is much bigger than the Earth, like probably eight times the mass of the Earth. But it has a hydrogen, just pure hydrogen atmosphere, and a liquid water uh, ocean, liquid ocean underneath the hydrogen atmosphere. And the James Webb Space Telescope was able to detect both methane and carbon dioxide wow. in the atmosphere in a way that told us that, yeah, this is, there probably is, or at least it's likely, there's a, a, a liquid ocean down there. And where there's liquid water, George, there's, you know, good chance that maybe life happens. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Smart journalism, fascinating topics, words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app.